We're going to read uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, as we consider the, the Word of God made flesh, the Word of God that dwells with us uh, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'll explain while we're taking a break uh, from our Genesis uh, series in just a second, but let's read together John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and then I'll pray and we'll get in to our study on this text. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, God's Word says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son uh, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that you are indeed the one true God. And Lord, you stand apart from us, separated from us because of our sins uh, if we are outside of Christ. But yet we know that through Christ we have been joined together with you. And there is now peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we know that Jesus is that that ultimate barrier crosser, the one who breaks down the barrier between God and man, the one who tears the veil asunder, the one who uh, bridges the gap between us and you, the one who restores us to true life. So, Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of your word today, that we would be changed and that because we are changed, we would go out from this place ready to serve and honor you with our lives. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So like I said, you might have noticed that I'm taking a little break uh, this Sunday from our study in the book of Genesis. And actually, I'm not really taking a break. But what happened is as I was preparing for this week's sermon, uh, I realized that I um, had studied a ton on the last sermon that we did in Genesis chapter 29, 
right? 29. Uh, on, on Jacob's ladder. And we, I, I did a great deal. Maybe it was 28. I, see, I've already forgotten. Um, but anyway, we, I studied a great deal on that to prepare for that sermon and particularly to draw a connection between what Jacob was experiencing there in that chapter and uh, who Jesus is. Because Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse 51, that he is the stairway to heaven. He says that you shall see the kingdom of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. And so we uh, I spent a good deal of time in my sermon last time we met uh, detailing out how Jesus is the true temple of God. And uh, I know many of you might have missed that, but we, if you want to kind of fill yourself in on that, you know, I post those sermons online at fromedentothekingdom.com. So if you want to go to that website and listen to the last sermon that I did, or if you want to text me, you can just text me at the number on the bulletin and I'll be glad to send you a link to it and you can listen to it uh, on your phone. Uh, but those, uh, that sermon, I sp- spent a lot of time fleshing that out, but I felt like it may not have been perfectly clear just what I meant in saying that Jesus is the true temple of God, the dwelling place of God. And a lot of where I was getting that for this last sermon came from John chapter 1. And so I thought what might be appropriate to to just have a, a little more of a teaching sermon, and let's go through John chapter 1 and look at uh, who Jesus is according to John, uh, John and what he reveals to us in his life and ministry. So uh, Jesus, the, the, what we're working from today is to recognize that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is, as Matthew says, God with us. And when he reveals himself to us through his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, he reveals exactly who God is. And so... Uh, uh, you know, when we look at John's gospel, we get a better, particularly at what we're looking at today in what they call the prologue, we get a better picture of who Jesus is and how Jesus defines all things. And so John wants you to understand from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, that Jesus is the definition of all things. And Jesus is the dwelling presence of God. So we're going to look at those two major points today as we divide this text up. We're going to look at Jesus as the definition of all things and Jesus as the dwelling presence of God. So first, let's consider Jesus as the definition of all things. And for that, uh, if you want to consider the verses that, that get at that, we're going to consider verses 1 through 13 as this idea of Jesus being the definition of all things. Now, first of all, John wants you to understand, first and foremost, that Jesus is the definition by which everything was made. So John uses, in the first four verses of this text, John uses three words that tell us, who Jesus is. 
And so I want to focus for just a minute on these three words that John uses in the first four verses. First of all, John says, in the beginning was the Word. He says, Jesus is the Word. Now, that word, word here, is, is uh, helpful to us in English, but really to understand fully what John means, we've got to go back a little bit and look at the Greek word that John uses there. The Greek word that John uses to say that in the beginning was the word is the Greek word logos. Now, when you hear that word, you that might seem foreign to you, as, as many people say, that's all Greek to me, preacher, you know, but, but actually we use this word all the time. When we say, I'm going to get out my technology and I'm going to use my phone. Or when I say, I'm going to study theology or uh, uh, any science, you know, usually ends with the, the four letters L-O-G-Y, right? That L-O-G-Y there, it comes from the Greek logos. So when we say theology, those are two words together. Theos, which is God, and logos, which is word. So when we say we're going to study theology, we're saying we're going to study a word about God. Okay? If we're going to study technology, we're studying a word about technology. Okay? Or the word about technology. Now, why is that important? It doesn't matter a bit to us. But it was a big deal when uh, John wrote the, these words. Because the word logos is not just a, sim it's not a simple word that we add on to the end of some of our English words. Logos had a particular placeholder in both Greek philosophy and Jewish theology. Okay, so John's doing an amazing thing here in joining these two ideas together. So for the Greeks, the Logos was the definition of all things. The Greeks had this idea that there was a, a defining form behind everything. So a good example is if I say, imagine uh, what it is to be a father. If I tell you, tell me what it is to be a father, I guarantee you I could go around to each one of you and you might have a few little differences, but most of you are going to say the same things about what it is to be a father. Now, was your father everything there was to be a father? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But we have an idea in our head of what it is to be a father. We have a form of what it is to be a father. That, in the Greek sense, is the logos, the, the form behind everything, the thing that defines everything, if you want to think of it like that. Now, the other side of this is the, the Jews use the word logos to speak of the word of God. And so when they translated the, their Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, everywhere the, the, the word word of God was used, they substituted Logos. So in Jewish belief, the word of God is this defining thing as well. God's word acts. It, it does stuff. 
So think about in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to refer back a lot to Genesis chapter 1 because John is kind of riffing on Genesis chapter 1 in this, in this uh, passage. And so in Genesis chapter 1, in, in verse 4, when God creates light, the first thing he creates, how does he create it? And God, what? Said, let there be light, right? So God's word in that one instance creates things. God's word has an acting component to it. It does stuff. And later on, as you get into the prophets, like we, we read in Isaiah chapter 55 at the beginning of the service, it says, my word will not return to me void. It will do what I sent it out to do. So it's not God going out and making light and, and uh, making animals and making humans. It's his word going out and doing this separate almost, it seems, from him. OK, so in both of these cultures, both the Greeks and the Jews, they held with reverence the idea of the Logos. And Logos stood for the idea of this defining word, this, this form, this spoken word of God that makes everything, that everything is defined by. So the second word that John uses in these four verses is he says that the word was the life and the life was the light of men. So the second word is Life, And it says that Jesus is the life. So again, getting back to the Greek here, I know y'all don't care anything about Greek, but, but it's important for understanding what John's saying here. The Greek word for life is zoe. Now, we use life. We talk about, you know, my life's so difficult right now as a result of the pandemic, or my life is, is, uh, is going great, you know, or... I don't want to lose my life. So we use life to speak of our um, physical experience, you know, whether we live or die. We use the word life to speak of our emotional experience. You know, I, my life as a, as a person is going badly or going well. We don't just use the word life to speak of living or dying. Well, John never uses the word life in the Gospel of John, and this is a bold statement, but I, I've, I've researched it, okay? He never uses this word Zoe, life, in any other way than to speak of eternal life, okay? He, when he says that Jesus is the life, he is speaking of the God life, having eternal life within you. He's not talking about Jesus saving your life like keeping you from dying or making your life better as in uh, helping you to emotionally cope with the, the things of this world. He is talking about connecting you to God. And so you think about uh, uh, some of the famous places that you can think about where like in John 3.16, he says, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes just about every chapter. John is going to use this word. And when he uses it, he is talking about eternal life. Now, I ran into something about this 
this week as I was preparing for this worship service because what I like to do, as you've probably seen, is I like to take the hymnals, uh, the hymns, and connect them to what we're going to be talking about in my sermon. And I went to the Baptist hymnal and I flipped back to uh, the back section has different categories and you can look under those categories and pick hymns related to those categories. So I flipped back to eternal life and was trying to find hymns that might relate to that. But the Baptist hymnal has eternal life and heaven together. So all of the hymns are on heaven, you know, I'll fly away and on, Stor uh, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand, which is a great song. But uh, all those songs are related to heaven. But the idea of eternal life, particularly as it relates to John, John's gospel, is not just heaven. Now, sure, we uh, gain life with God through our, uh, when we die, when we go to heaven. But eternal life is not just heaven. Eternal life is abiding with God. Eternal life is having Jesus through the Holy Spirit and abiding in God's life. So you think about in John later on, Jesus will say, I have come that they might have what? Life. And that they might have it to the full or have it abundant. Right? What he's saying there is not when they die, they will have life. He's saying, I have come so that right now they will have life. All right? The reason that's important is because remember from Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is all of a sudden he, go, he goes to sleep and he has this vision of heaven sitting over earth. Okay? And he's, the veil is removed and he is able to see heaven. And we often think of heaven as something that comes after. Heaven as something that God is creating or that we're going to get when we die. But heaven is revealed, as I said when in the sermon last time, heaven is revealed in us and through us as we live for Christ in this world. Heaven's a real place. I'm not saying it's not a real place. What I'm saying, though, is that as the Holy Spirit reigns in our lives and through us in this world, we reveal God's kingdom here on earth. And so when you raise your children in a godly Christian home, you are raising them in the kingdom of God. You are raising them as part of God's kingdom and in the benefits of God king, God's kingdom. When we assemble together here and we sing together and we read God's word together, we are enjoying the benefits of heaven here on earth. Now, it's not everything that heaven is, but it's a glimpse of heaven. Okay. And so the, the reason I want to emphasize that is we tend to shorten the idea of eternal life as just to that, what, that that happens after death. But eternal life is something that we have now in our connection to God through His Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. The last word that I want to look at is the word light. And so it says that in him was life and the light was life was the light of men. Now, the idea here is of revealing truth or making manifest. 
Uh, remember again to Genesis 1 where it says that he, God speaks, but he doesn't just speak. He also declares things to be good. And when he declares things to be good, he is defining truth. He's defining what things really are. And so um, the next point that I want to look at is the dwelling presence of God in uh, verses 14 through 16. So not only is Jesus the definition of all things, but Jesus is the dwelling presence of God. So people often quote verse 1 as proof that Jesus is God. You know, if you're interacting with a Jehovah's Witness or someone that denies that Jesus is truly the Son of God and truly God, one with God, um, we might, you might go to John 1.1 to prove that the Bible says that Jesus is God. But actually everything in this passage reveals Jesus to be one with God. Let me give you three ways that this passage does this. Number one, Jesus is compared in verse 14 to the God of the Israelites. Notice it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Now, what John is saying there is, first of all, this logos, this Word, the definition of all things, became a man. And not just that, but it says he dwelt among us. Now the neat thing about that is that word dwelled is used by God all the time in the Old Testament. And you know how God dwelled with his people? Remember, he dwelled with his people in the tabernacle and he dwelled with his people in the tent, uh, in the temple. So when that word there dwelt that is used there, the word literally means to pitch his tent. Okay? So it's the idea of Jesus coming down and setting the tent up with us. Okay? And dwelling, living with us. Remember in the Old Testament, everywhere the Israelites would go, they would have to pitch the tent of the tabernacle and God would come down in fire and smoke and dwell in that tabernacle. And so in this... Jesus is compared to the God of the Israelites as the God who comes down and pitches his tent with his people. And it also says that they beheld his glory, uh, or we have beheld his glory. And this is throwing back to Moses and the people of Israel. Remember the people of Israel on Mount Sinai and Moses on Mount Sinai when when God descends on the mountain, they witness God. They see the power of God. And not just that, but when Moses is up on the mountain, he asks God to see him, that he might see him. And God says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to come by and you'll, I'll let you see my backside. So um, not only has Jesus descended as God and dwelled with his people, but the apostles and the disciples, they beheld his glory. Just like Moses and Israel beheld the glory of God, so they had beheld his glory. Second, the second way that this reveals that Jesus is God is it says that Jesus is before John the Baptist in verse 15. Now, it points out that John was born first. Remember, John is born and then Jesus comes. But John says, the one who comes after me 
is before me because he was before me. So this is saying what John is saying here is that Jesus is the eternal son of God. And then lastly, it reveals Jesus to be God because Jesus knows the father and makes him known. In verse 18, let's look at that again. It says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's uh, father's side, he has made him known. Now, your translation might say the only begotten who is in the bosom of the father has made him known. But this translation takes it to be that this is saying this God who is also God reveals who God really is. So in this, Jesus knows the father and he makes him known. Now, even the greatest prophet, even Moses and Isaiah and uh, the greatest of the prophets had to have God reveal who they were, who he was, so that they could speak. You know, I'm, I'm reading in my own devotion right now, I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, you know, every chapter begins with, it uh, says, the Lord came to me and said, tell this to the house of Israel. You know, and so God tells the prophet what to say. And then the prophet goes and he starts every prophecy by saying, thus says the Lord, right? But then when we see Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. He says, I say, do this. What he is claiming in that very thing is that he reveals exactly who the Father is because he is one with the Father. And so um, Jesus knows God because he is one with God and because he reveals exactly who God is. God, Jesus makes God known unlike any other prophet or leader of the Old Testament. He makes God known because he is one with the Father. So if Jesus is the word, the light, and the life, why do we act like we define our lives? Jesus is the definition of everything that God is. He reveals the truth and he comes to give eternal life. So what gives us the right to claim that authority for ourselves? So oftentimes we act like we define what our life is and what it should be. But it is Jesus who is the real definition of everything. He is the Logos. He is the final word on everything. If you want to be a good father, the definition of that is found in who Jesus is. If you want to be a good husband or good wife, the definition of all things is found in who Jesus is. We don't need some psychological help or, or, or a, a, a positive motivation for our lives to know how we should live. We have the very word of God in Jesus Christ because he has revealed exactly who God is. And if Jesus is the word made flesh, why do we struggle with finding God through so many other things? Uh, so many other means. We are as bad as the Israelites in making our own golden calves. 
We think that the way to God is through our family or our work or our knowledge or our wealth. The way to God is through Jesus Christ. And only He can reveal the truth and the way. Friend, there is no way to know the truth and have true life without Christ. Turn to Him today and be saved through His eternal life that He gives you in His death and resurrection. Brothers and sisters, may we turn to Christ for all things in this life. He has made us new. He's given us His Spirit. And we have access to this eternal life through Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You today knowing that You indeed have given us the truth, the way, and the life through Your Son. So Father, I pray that You would make us more into the image of Your Son as we seek to be obedient to Him. Father, bless us as we go from this place. May we seek to define our lives by Jesus and nothing else. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.